Hi, this is Lily, and I'm a member of the Beacon Church. Welcome to our podcast. My family and I have been attending Beacon for a few years, and we love how the pastors reason through the scriptures every Sunday. We love the fellowship, the kids' classes, the singing, and oh, the cafe is great. So if you're in the neighborhood, we'd love to meet you. We meet every Sunday at 9 a.m., 10.30, or 12 noon. We're located at 65 East Williston Avenue in East Williston, New York. For more information, visit us at visitbeacon.com. See you soon. Anyway, I'm uh, Robert Kelly. I'm one of the pastors here at uh, the church. And welcome to the continuation of our series, It's Complicated. And uh, it's a series where we've been uh, talking about, really we've been studying the book of Proverbs and trying to figure out a whole lot of the relational uh, information that's there found in that book and how we can take those ancient uh, Proverbs and apply them to our lives. And so I hope uh, it has been uh, an enjoyable series. This is actually the last week of the series. And uh, all the other topics, of course, uh, they're recorded, they're online. If you missed any of them or if you just want to go back and review, uh, we've covered uh, a good diversity of topics that will help you apply God's principles to any of uh, your relationships. And today we get to talk about conflict, conflict, because conflict, of course, is inevitable. You know, we uh, do uh, premarital counseling with, uh, you know, the young couples. And you know, young couples, you guys are awesome. And uh, the reason being is because, you know, they're all like kind of like dreamy-eyed. You know, they're like looking at each other like, oh, you're the best. Nothing's ever going to change the way I feel this very moment. It's only going to be up into the, right? Like, it's, so it's very cool. So we talk to them and we're like, listen, you know, we really don't want to marry you guys if you haven't had at least one major fight. And sometimes they look at us, sometimes they've already had plenty, but sometimes they look at us and they go, well, I, I don't know that we're ever going to fight. <laughs> okay. <laughs> <laughs> okay, <laughs> we'll see. Uh, but, uh, you know, there's part, of, and, and so even we, we just like them to have one really massive fight before they get married, even if we have to try to provoke it, <laughs> you know, just to kind of get it going, because conflict is inevitable. I mean, are there any important relationships in your life that do not have conflict? I would doubt it. I mean, most of the couples or the individuals that we counsel are dealing with relational conflict. There's some problem that's there. There's a coworker maybe who is the constant thorn in your side. There's a conflict there. Maybe one person in the relationship wants more space and the other one wants more closeness, more face time. How do you resolve those kinds of issues? He wants more kids. She says, absolutely not. It's a conflict. Needs some resolution. Something has to happen in these circumstances. One in the relationship needs a whole lot more affirmation. But of course, he doesn't want to give her the affirmation because he isn't actually getting the affirmation he needs from her. So he withholds because, of course, he needs. Okay, this is, these, are, these are issues that have to be worked out. There's a friend telling people things that you thought were confidential. Well, maybe they were, maybe they weren't. How do you resolve a conflict like this? Who's right? 
who's wrong? Does it even matter sometimes? You still have the conflict. And even way more important than any of that is how do we move forward through our conflicts? Of course, people handle conflict in very different ways. And there's all sorts of lousy ways of dealing with conflict. You could suppress conflict, right? That's a very popular way of dealing with it. You pretend it doesn't exist. You kind of bury it. You try to forget about it. Just kind of press it down, make sure no one else sees it. You just kind of revisit it whenever you need that little, that little kick. You're going to avoid it at all costs. You're suppressing it. Or maybe you're more of an expresser. You know, you're going to vent it. You're going to let it all hang out. And that's what you feel like is the right way of dealing with conflict. I'm going to say whatever I feel whenever I feel it. And you are going to take it because it's what I need to do to get it off my chest. Express it. Or submission. One person simply will bow to the other with a simple, okay. There's a conflict. All right, it's okay. You know what? We'll just do it your way. Whatever you say, dear. That's it. Submission. None of these approaches are good. <laughs> just cross them right off. Because none of them will actually deal with or resolve the conflict. And even worse than that, the beauty and the power of the conflict is lost. The beauty and the power, it's lost, or at the very least, it's distorted. Open, if you would, in a Bible to Proverbs 17. You can keep it open. We're going to be in and out of Proverbs, kind of bouncing into a couple different verses within Proverbs 17. And what we're going to see is that conflict isn't just inevitable. It's also essential. It's essential. See, when there are wrongs that need writing, conflict is essential. We talked a little bit about that last week, but this is sort of like part two of the anger message, but uh, we're pressing in a little bit deeper. So let me ask, before we look at the proverb, what is the goal of fighting? What's the goal? When you go into a fight, what is the goal? To win, of course. Like, I mean, why else would we be fighting? We want to win. And what are we trying to win? We want our way, our point, because we're actually fighting for the relationship. And I think sometimes we forget that. The win is the relationship. See, now you might have sinful tendencies and you might be fighting against, you might be just fighting because of fight, but, but what we're, if we're talking about how a real God-honoring conflict ought to go down, it means you're fighting for the relationship. So in a sense, you could see that the fight itself is about connecting. It's about getting the love back. It's about getting the, the, the relationship restored. And in that way, the fight can be a beautiful thing. It's an essential thing, in fact. 
Fighting in this way can be good. It can build humility and it can stir up passions and it can, you know, make certain that, uh, you know, that we learn that we're not the center of the universe. I mean, there's so many good things. This is why makeup sex, by the way, is essential. Because you think about it for a moment. What's going on there? People differentiate themselves in the fight that married people only. And then, that's <laughs> another message from a few weeks ago on the sex one. But then, it come, then you come back together and there is renewed energy and passion in the relationship. See, this betrays this deeper emotional truth. And Proverbs 17.10 says that a rebuke impresses a discerning person more than a hundred lashes of fool. So when we're talking about being it, that, it, that, fight, that fighting is essential or conflict is essential, a rebuke impresses a discerning person. You see, when you get rebuked, when there's a conflict that happens, a wise person says, this is good. This is good for me. This can be good for us. In fact, we learn more from it. A wise person will learn more from that than if you had beaten a fool. But before we get into how to best fight, we have to, do, we have to ask ourselves that first question there. Is a fight needed here? Is a fight? So before we get into kind of like, you know, rules of engagement, let's talk about whether or not a fight is even needed. And this is important. 75.659 of all fights are not needed at all. <laughs> also, by the way, 52.876% of all statistics are made up. So I don't actually have any idea. I'm, I'm totally making that up. There is, I don't, but I know it's a big number. I don't know how many, but my instinct tells me and my experience, personal experience in fighting tells me, and my working with so many of you tells me most of our conflicts don't need to happen. They just don't. They're usually rooted in some sort of pettiness or some sort of sin or some sort of selfishness. It's all that kind of stuff. So maybe there really is no need for a fight. Look at verse 14. Starting a quarrel is like breaching a dam. So drop the matter before a dispute breaks out. There, nice and simple. Ask yourself, do I even really need to be fighting this? Does it actually matter? Look at verse 19. Whoever loves a quarrel loves sin. Whoever builds a high gate invites destruction. So if you love to fight just to fight, it's sin. No good is going to come from that. So many of our arguments should never happen. Or maybe in this particular argument, it's, of such, a, it's such a nature of, the, of this argument that love can cover over it. Look at verse 17. This is chapter 17 still, verse 17. A friend loves at all times. And this is key. If a friend really loves at all times, then we might be able to apply verse 9. Look at verse 9. Whoever would foster love covers over an offense. There is a part, and this isn't, you know, this isn't the, the, the idea of like suppressing it or anything like that. As we mature as Christ followers, we can simply not deal with every circumstance in which we get irritated. We don't have to always get our way. We get to bring these things back to Christ and back to the cross and say, you know what? These are not actually important issues and the relationship isn't going to get, it doesn't have to be strengthened or weakened as a result of this conflict. It's just, it's just reality. It's just the world we live in and love can cover over a multitude of sins. So there are sins that can in fact be 
overlooked. Not every issue needs a fight. Look at the screen. We have Proverbs 12, 16. Fools show their annoyance at once, but the prudent overlook an insult. Or verse 19, a, person, a person's wisdom yields patience, and it is to one's glory to overlook an offense. If you wish to be in any way more glorious in this world, then most of the fights that we have never actually need to happen. And if, in fact, you are in a fight, you can ask, or you see it building, you can ask, is there some way I can dial down the heat? Can I actually find a way so that I don't make this thing bigger than it, than it needs to be? Because trying to stir up anger, which sometimes we do, and we all know why we do this, because we want to try to get the high moral road, right? And so if I can provoke you, even without anger, like yelling, or if I can provoke you into a fight and you can then be in sin in some way, then I get the high moral road and I go, see, this is what you're always like. You know, and so it's like a very subtle kind of a manipulation thing. And so, you know, we, so we have to see, can we dial down the, the anger, dial down the heat? Proverbs 29 on the screen as well. It says, an angry person stirs up conflict and a hot-tempered person commits many sins. Or, 29.11, fools give full vent to their rage, but the wise bring calm in the end. These are just, just, just kind of general principles that we find in the Proverbs that are just so helpful. You see, we can slow things down. And this is kind of what we talked about last week. Again, the trigger and the response. If you can get space between the trigger and the response, slow the whole thing down, this would be good. Proverbs 15.1 tells us that a gentle answer turns away wrath, but a harsh word stirs up anger. Can you use just the right word at just the right time to kind of dial down this whole thing and keep it at a place where you can actually have a, a, a healthy conflict over it? Timing is going to be a big part of this, by the way. Before you decide when you're going to pick a fight, just think through the timing of the thing. Because you know the right words at the wrong time are the wrong words, right? You've all learned that. Every one of us has seen this. You can use the right words, something that you were supposed to say, but you do it at the wrong time, and all of a sudden the thing blows up in your face, and you say, but I was so careful. But you did it at 1230 at night. He's getting up at 5. Like this one is going to be an hour-long conversation. This, yes, but I couldn't sleep at it doesn't matter. It's going to go bad. You know, you got a teenager, they're rushing out the door, and all of a sudden you're like, now is the time, now is the moment where we have to deal with this issue. It's like, really? Because now they're either late for class or they're, you know, they're about to go out with plans that they made with their friends a week ago, but now is the time you have to actually have this conflict, right? Whose fault is this when this thing blows up? You know, timing does matter, and we can dial down the, the heat, Sometimes you'll watch like friends and they're having a conflict and it's kind of awkward because there's like a, a group of people and all of a sudden one per person says something to the other and you're like, wow, we're going to do this right now in front of everyone. This is like, of course, suddenly you see it going bad and you're like, well, that's because you shouldn't have said anything in front of the people. Yeah, but it really irritated me right then. Grow up. I don't know what to tell you. It just so what it irritated you right then. So that's the moment. Like timing matters. See if we can dial down the heat. But. Let's say you've dialed it down, you've, you've assessed the situation, and you realize this is the kind of a conflict that needs to happen. This is an issue that does need to be addressed. We do need to fight. So I'm going to ask you to join the Fight Club. Can you guys put up with a hokey acronym? 
Can we do one of my hokey acronyms today? Okay, so I gave you a note sheet, and we're going to work through a hokey acronym for the morning. We're going to ask you to join the Fight Club. So here you go. First thing you do. <laughs> you figure out the issue. You got to figure out the issue. If you are figuring out the issue, it starts individually, but it becomes a joint conversation. And I know this sounds silly because it seems like when you're starting a fight, you know exactly what you want to talk about. But in my experience, that isn't always the case. In my experience, we haven't actually even figured out what we're fighting about most often. And I've seen this many, many a time. And, there, and here it even gets worse because maybe there are two or three or ten issues that you're actually dealing with. And you jumble them all up into one big ugly mess and you wonder why you get nowhere. You actually have to agree on the problem. So, you know, you guys are having a conflict and you say, hey, so um, where are we going to eat tonight? And uh, one of you says, well, I think we'll go, we'll do Italian. And, and the other one's like, oh, Italian again? Like, really? We always do Italian. Well, what do you want to do? Something weird? Well, not every other food is weird. Like, that's kind of a like a really ethnocentric way of even saying it. It's not. I'm not even Italian. I just like Italian. It's my favorite food. Why don't we just go for Italian? Well, because you, you always say that, and we always go for Italian. I never actually go for Chinese. And now if suddenly you're off to, a, off to the races in the beginning of a conflict. What are you arguing about? What kind of food you're going to be eating? Every single, you could pick a four-star restaurant of any type within 10 miles of this building. So it's not that you're, so I don't want to eat that kind. What's the real conflict here? Do you even know what the real conflict is? And this is so important to actually understand, to figure out what the real issue. Cheryl and I have had, my wife Cheryl, Cheryl and I have had arguments that uh, we realized after a while that we don't actually know what we're arguing about. Has this ever happened to you? So in there, there have been seasons in our life where we've actually, we, we argue like way longer than we ought to uh, sometimes. And so sometimes they go on for like longer than like a couple hours or a day or something. Like they extend over days. And uh, we've had times where we've sat down to finish the argument or to pick up the argument, and neither of us can figure out what we were arguing about. We, like, remember a couple parts of the argument, but we actually don't know what caused it, and we have no idea what we're even arguing. We've actually had to agree to end the argument not knowing what it was about. So sometimes I think she does remember, but she knows she was losing. But, <laughs> but no, I'm just kidding. <laughs> just she and I can argue about that later. Um, <laughs> but when you're doing this, you have to be direct and you have to be very specific. Now, I think most people will struggle with this, okay? I think this can be a real challenge for us. And uh, so if, in fact, you find that when you're starting to argue, you're jumping into another argument and into another one, and you're like, wait, 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 I thought we were talking about this, I would actually encourage you to just write it down. This is actually a worksheet that you can use that you can just you can write it out. And you make as many copies as you need. And you might find that even for a simple conflict, there are really two or three or four issues that all need to be handled in turn. And I think this is important because are you really fighting about who was supposed to take care of the laundry? Or are you fighting about the sarcasm that one of you used when talking about the laundry? 
Or are you fighting about the fact that one, one person feels like they're carrying too much of the domestic work and being neglected and not cared for? What are you really fighting about? Write them out, be very specific, and you have to agree. You actually have to write it out in such a way that both of you can look at it and say, yep, yep, we agree, let's fight about that. <laughs> then you've figured out the issue. That's a key start. Then we investigate the issues. Investigate the issues. We ask, what is really going on here? Now I'm going to need uh, just a, uh, I'm going to need a, uh, a volunteer to help me with this. And so, can I, can I have you come up here? You're going to be our, you're going to be our, I need, uh, I need a guy over here. Peter, Peter, do you want to come up here? You guys are going to be my, my volunteers. And we're going to set the scene. All right. I know, that's why I saw you look down. And I thought so. <laughs> thought you're like, pick me. Um, all right, so I'm, a, I'm the narrator, of course. And you, you're going to be the woman. And um, you're going to be the the man, the husband here, all right? And so when we get to our point, I'm going to read through this, and you're going to read your part, and you're going to read it, you know, with, with energy. We just to give you a little bit, of, little bit of thing. You're going to face that way, and you're never really going to turn around and look at her, maybe just like a glance over your shoulder, and you're going to make believe you're sitting, and you just hold the remote. Yeah. <laughs> all right, and so, and so, um, and then uh, you're going to, I'll even have you walk in the scene, all right? So the, the scene is set. There is a woman who is wise with money, she's productive, and she is forgiving. That's who she sees herself. That's her self-identity. And she has a husband who is generous, hardworking, and loving. So, of course, when the two of these come home after a long week of work, this should be an idyllic moment, right? This is so beautiful and perfect because this is who they see themselves to be. All right, so a woman comes home after... Around 7 p.m. after a long week of work. I'm home. Wait, no, I'm up. I'm sorry. That's me. See, narrator part? That's me. Oh, yeah. <laughs> so she walks in, and she sees a pile of dishes. Right here, you have to imagine it, because I, I don't want no other props than a remote. And, um, and, so she, and you notice that dinner isn't started. Why? Because, of course, the husband is sitting on the couch halfway through a six-pack. You're up. You say hi. Uh, hi. So, any plans to get dinner started? Order out. You spend way more money than you should. You should be saving more. See, the husband sees himself as generous, but he's actually accused of being wasteful with money. Now, the husband's identity as a hardworking man is being challenged in his mind because he's saying, what, you think I'm actually a lazy person, but I'm, I'm not a lazy person. I got up at 4.30 in the morning. I've been working hard all day. I lift heavy things. I'm actually exhausted. Her productive self-identity is threatened, and she's now being accused of being a nag. Uh, you always do that. Last 
Let's give them a hand. <laughs> it's like you had actually seen the script before. <laughs> That's funny. Uh, so what you're doing here is you're trying to get at what the real issues are. You see, it would be easy to think that you're fighting over the dishes or fighting over dinner. Usually when we're arguing, when we're fighting, it's where we get angry. It's rarely, remember I told you last week, anger is actually a secondary emotion. It's because it's, it's, there's actually an emotion that has been stepped on or betrayed or there's something else that's generating the energy. And you need to get to those issues if you're really going to solve the, the, the circumstance. You have to get to the point. Because now, if you just deal with who's going to, on Friday nights, make dinner, if that's what you've settled, you haven't actually dealt with all of the other hurt. You haven't dealt with all of the other assumptions, all of the others, the, 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 the felt accusations. You haven't dealt with any of that. So that's why I'm telling you the real issues, they're in there, and you have to investigate what those issues are. And one of the key ways you're going to do that, I can't go into this now, you can Google it or I can give you stuff, tools later, but you've got to become proficient at reflective listening. You've got to be able to hear what is being said. You need to be able to get at the emotions behind it. You need to be able to restate what a person is feeling so they know that they've been understood. You need to be able to not just remember, we want, when we fight, we generally want people to know our part. We want them to know what we feel. We spend all of our time trying to be understood. If you just flip that on its head and you spent most all of your time in an argument trying to understand, it would change the tenor of the whole thing because you would actually start to get at the real issue. Honey, are you upset that we're, that, that, that we're, we're wasting money? Are you concerned? What's going on? What's happening here behind the scenes? Is there anything else that we should be talking about to really act, to get at this uh, real conversation? So you've got to work on this reflective listening part. And then there are I statements, and you guys know all this, right? So you say to someone, you always mock me, and I'm sick of it, and I'm not going to put up with your crap anymore. Not usually a great lead-in to a conversation. Flip it around and say, you know what? I, you always start with an I, I feel hurt when we're out with friends and you make jokes about me. I feel hurt. You're expressing it in terms of how you're experiencing the pain or the hurt. Late again, of course. You're always late and you never honor your word. It's one way to go. You could say instead, I feel frustrated when after we've agreed on a time for dinner, you come home late because you're hanging out with your coworkers at happy hour. You've made it very clear, it's very specific, and now you have something to talk about. By the way, in these, this part of the argument, there is no cursing, there's no extreme statements, no always or nevers, no shouting, no rage. You have to come up with your own rules that are allowed that both of you agree with. What are the kinds of things you can't say? What are the kind of names I'm not allowed to call you? You know, those kinds of things. You should know what the rules are and honor those rules. It might even be helpful to write them out. Then you get perspective. 
What do other people say? Starting off with God. Find out what the scriptures say. Because screaming at the kids or going out with a co-worker and finding out that your spouse is jealous or finding out that your friend has been gossiping about you or you have been gossiping about them, your boss being upset because you're taking personal calls at work, the Bible addresses all of these issues. As a follower of Christ, you can submit yourself to what the Bible's teaching is on this without further comment. You can actually begin the conversation and even end many of the conversations simply by finding out what God actually says about it. Now, for some things, it's not going to be as clear. Now you can bring in some wise people. Find out, get some perspective from the people in your life who you know are wise, who understand God's ways, who are prayed up kinds of people, and let them into the situation with you and see if they can help you navigate your way through this. This is, a, this is an important part because you have to pick these people carefully. You're not looking. We were talking about it and Trevor said, you don't need an echo chamber. I love that idea. You don't need somebody who's going to just simply tell you what you're telling them. Oh, man, I can't stand her. She's really so frustrating. Every Friday night she does this thing and, he, and your friend says, yes, she does. Not going to be helpful at all. You know, you're not looking for an echo chamber here. You're not picking someone who's going to affirm what you already believe. You're looking for someone who can challenge that and bring another perspective into the conversation. Then you hash it out. And this is where you're answering the question, what are our next steps? What needs to happen now? This is where you own your stuff and where they need to own their stuff and where you come up with next steps, where you actually have... Uh, an implementation that's coming. So imagine for a moment you've had an argument, someone confronted you or you confronted someone, and in the midst of the conversation you realize you were wrong. What do you have to do? Well, now comes repentance. Now is a time for us to say, wait, we were, I was wrong. What I did, I shouldn't have done. And we repent. We ask for forgiveness. And we try to make restitution if that's appropriate in that circumstance. You're repenting, you're asking for forgiveness, and you're trying to make restitution. Now, if you've had an argument and someone confronted you or you confronted someone and you were in the right, what's your next step? It's not the happy dance. Yes. I won. I did it. I knew it. That's not your next. You could do that in the closet later. Um, but, but if you are in the right, it is time to forgive. Look at Proverbs 16, 16. On the screen, I'm going to put it. Proverbs 16, 16. Through love and faithfulness, sin is atoned for. Through the fear of the Lord, evil is avoided. This is a powerful word, atoned for. This is what Jesus did for us on the cross. See, forgiveness is about canceling a debt. It's not that you're going to forget it. It's not that you just, you know, it evaporates from your mind. It means you no longer hold it against someone. That's what forgiveness does. You're no, you're no longer, and that's what Jesus did for you. He canceled your sin debt. Can you do that for someone else? 
because of what Jesus did for you, because of the power of atonement. Atonement has to do with this idea of covering. This is what it means by canceling out the debt. You're no longer responsible for this debt that you owe. And when you grant someone forgiveness, that's what you're telling them. Through love and faithfulness, sin is atoned for. And then the last step is to work toward togetherness. And sometimes we forget this part. The fight's over. There's been a, um, you know, I'm sorry, you're forgiven. We're going to make steps. We have a plan in place to make sure this doesn't happen again. We have, we've done all that work, and we forget this last piece. And this is the golden part, because now we see the real beauty and the power that can happen in conflict. Now we get to say, how are we doing? I know you might be frustrated, but, but are we okay again? Where's the relationship at? I know you still love me, but I wouldn't mind hearing it. I wouldn't mind being able to give you a hug or to hold your hand or to know that this thing hasn't irreparably damaged us, but in fact has drawn us together even closer. There's a togetherness that has to happen to be able to express it to another. This is, you guys might be familiar with the love languages. If not, you should. There's five love languages, blah, 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 all that. Anyway, the point is, <laughs> the point of this isn't the love languages. The point is, you need to help them know they're loved, however they need it. So whether you know their love language or not, it's not enough to say, well, I told them that I love them. Yes, but that might not be what they need from you to know that they're loved. They might need something else. That could be part of the conversation to make certain that togetherness is where the conflict ends. And this really is the goal of our fighting to bring all of this uh, beautiful mess to a head so that we can become more and more like Jesus to each other. And the relationship can move to a place of even deeper, more full, more complete, self-sacrificial love. We also have uh, this worksheet for you as a PDF. If you want a copy of it, I would recommend if you like anything that is on it and uh, you guys are struggling with conflict, then you can just text the word fight to, that, to our number and uh, we'll get you the PDF already filled in for you so you don't have to read your own handwriting. And, uh, and you can just take that PDF, print it out, cut up a whole bunch of them and just literally use these sheets to work through some conflicts. If you are struggling with conflict, if there's a lot of anger, if there's a lot of frustration, then don't keep doing what you've been doing. Try something different. And the exercise of actually writing it down can sort of depersonalize it just enough that you can work through these things and say, wait, 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 we skipped a step, let's go back. Wait, 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 is this the issue? Remember what he said, we can't use those kinds of words. Maybe we create our own rules of engagement and all of that kind of stuff. Work through those, uh, that process, and I think you will find it extremely rewarding when you're dealing with how to fight right. All right? Let me pray for us. Lord, I'm asking that you would help each and every one of us continue to grow in the image of Christ. Lord, this whole series, we've been talking about relationships, and we know that this is your great desire for us, that you in the beauty of the Trinity, have forever existed in a loving relationship between Father, Son, and Spirit. And that you desire us to enter into that relationship with you and with each other. 
The very fabric of the creation tells us just how important relationships are. And yet, Lord, we, we struggle with them and we so rarely bring them to you. We so rarely look to your word to find out how you wired us, how you made us, the kinds of ways you want us to treat each other, the sort of sacrificial love that you've called us to in these relationships. And Lord, we, we often don't even look to the example of Christ to see and to learn. But over the last months, Lord, we've been studying your word and we're praying uh, that this would find a home in our hearts, that we would become more and more the kinds of people who look and act and think like Jesus. We know, Lord, the power that can come into any relationship, the redemptive power that can come in when we let you do your work in us and through us. Father, that's what we want. Even though we run from it so often in our, in our heart of hearts, in our deepest selves, this is what we want. And we're praying that through the power of the Spirit, you would make it ever more real for us. And Lord, I just pray for the people here who are struggling. They've been hurt in relationships. They have suffered tremendously over the course of their lives, or maybe even now they're in very difficult places. And I'm just praying, Lord, that you would bring a sense of your presence, your comfort, and they would ultimately know, Lord, that they can walk with you and be with you and that you adore them, that you love them, Lord, and that they're not uh, rejected or despised or hated, and that, Lord, instead, they can just find the importance and the weight of their relational needs squarely in you, firmly in you. We ask this, and all God's people said, Amen.